You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas along with Ben Folks. As always, we're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, I frequently ask you this, but right now it feels like sort of a loaded question. How you doing this week? I feel like I'm finally recovered from the BMF wings. Yeah, we went to Buffalo Wild Wings Saturday night here in Missoula, Montana to take on assignment, let's point out. Yeah. We went to Buffalo Wild Wings on assignment for the athletic to check out the one night only BMF wing sauce available at participating Buffalo Wild Wings. And that shit was hot. Let's also say And I don't mean hot like the kids say hot yeah. like good. I would not. I would not go fire emoji. No. To describe the BMF wings, they were just literally hot. For one thing, as people who read our dispatch from that night on the Athletic already know, maybe not everything about that evening went the way we were told it would. From just the availability of the BMF wing sauce to the availability of the fights with which the BMF wing sauce was supposedly linked. Yep. We did everything we could. We made some adjustments on the fly. We got it done in the end. What really I found myself wondering about later on, because when we asked her, we asked the bartender, what is in the BMF wing sauce? First of all, we had to be like, do you have the BMF yes. wings? Because when we arrived at Buffalo Wild Wings, number one, it was packed full of people, none of whom were there to watch UFC 244. I'm telling you, that place is always packed. There was no signage, no advertising, no nothing about either UFC 244 or the BMF wings. Couldn't even get a a menu insert about the BMF wings. Nothing. We had to pull up to the bar, grab a couple of stools, and be like, we are here for the BMF wings. Do you even have those? And the bartender looked at us with a look on her face that I would not describe as overly confident. And she said, yeah, I think we can do that. Yeah. That's, right there, we should have known. We should have known. So, But then when we asked her what's actually in these, and she just admitted that, oh, it's just like three of the hottest sauces that we already have, and we just throw them all together. And yet, when you eat it, you're like, okay, there's supposed to be flavors in this, like mango, habanero. There's no flavor. It's just hot. Yeah. Like, you, I don't know how you're supposed to discern any type of actual flavor, because all it is is just an instant inferno that only builds momentum over time in your mouth. Yeah, I thought that there was like a half second of mango that hits your tongue first, and then immediately after that, it's it was cleansed by fire. Everything in your mouth was just obliterated by the heat of the BMF wings. And the, the, the thing that I would say that was most notable to me about the BMF wings was that how the heat lingered. Because like normally yeah. you eat some spicy stuff, it's a hot, and then like you drink a little one, two, three soda pops, and you're fine, it's okay. The BMF wings, the longer you sat there not eating them, the hotter it got inside your mouth. Yeah, I could feel it in my ears, I could feel it in my nose. We're about halfway into the wings, and the lady next to us looks over and she's like, you don't look like you're enjoying those. No, it was not hard to tell that we were not enjoying them. The thing that to me really though gave the experience a a local flair 
was on our way in, or at least like on my way in to the Buffalo Wild Wings, I noticed two things happening out front of Buffalo Wild Wings. One, a couple of old guys standing on the back patio, and this is in like 30 degree weather in November in Montana, seemingly out there just so that they can watch, I hope, one of their cars go through the automatic car wash across the street. Just like sitting there admiring it as it was coming through. The other, somebody selling a purebred dog out of the back of his car in the parking lot. And that really set the tone for the evening for me. I mean, it was a scene. There's a scene happening at Buffalo Wild. There is. Very little of it has anything to do with the UFC at this point. The other thing we found out is that they were not, in fact, showing the UFC 244 nope. pay-per-view. No. We had to ask him to take Jeopardy off the TV <laughs> yes. and put the uh, ESPN2 prelims on. So, like, this, despite the fact that they were running a specific promotion with the UFC around this event... It was as if UFC 244 was not occurring. But then when I asked myself later on, what do we mean by running a promotion with the UFC? I didn't see any ads for it. Like, was the entirety of this promotion, let's email a few reporters about this wing sauce. Even the little, the clip that they, the, the artwork they came up with it looked like somebody made it on Photoshop in five minutes. And no real promotion out, was... Did we play right into the entire strategy with promoting, I'm doing the air quotes with my fingers now, this BMF wing sauce thing? It's possible. It's possible. I mentioned it on Friday during the Power Hour saying it only sounds like we are being paid to do an endorsement <laughs> for Buffalo Wild Wings. We actually are doing it of our own accord. Uh, I was a little bit worried about that when we went there to do the story, but I think in the end uh, we were truth tellers. We, trolled the, we told the truth about our experience at Buffalo Wild Wings with the BMF wing sauce. And if I were an, an executive at B-Dubs, I'm not sure I would read it and be like, yes, we've hit a home run yeah, here. This we one, have scored with the wing sauce. This one went exactly according to plan. Uh, ben, we got Children of Men this week. Yes, we do. Co-Main Event Podcast, Patreon Movie Club, Wednesday. My pick, Children of Men, one out over your pick. I can't even remember what it was. The well, Proposition. The Proposition. Uh, so we're going to be recording that Co-Main Event Podcast Movie Club episode on Wednesday. We'll be recording it right after our normal weekly live chat. If you haven't watched Children of Men, you got a couple days to get that in. It's going to be a lot of fun talking also, about that. Also, if you're a top-tier patron, uh, you want to start getting your own recommendations in because up next is going to be Listener's Choice Week again. That's correct. I got a nice note from a librarian okay. in the Dayton, Ohio area over the weekend saying that she read The Blaze and she loved it. She's going to make sure that uh, she recommends it to the patrons of the Dayton Public Library. Hold on. So she's the librarian. She just gets new books in and just figures, what the hell? I'll just read them all? I think that libraries get advanced copies of books to decide whether or not they want to order it and have and it. And she personally reads them all. She read mine. Or at least she said she did. I mean, I wasn't at the house looking over her shoulder to make sure she did it. And liked it enough to reach out and be like, She hey. sent me a personal note, which I thought was very nice. I mean, you can keep your blurbs from your author friends. My guy, a bunch of people who you had to lean on to get them to say something nice about your book if they haven't read it. This shit means something. A personal note from a Dayton Public Library administrator? Yeah. That's the real shit. I think that the people at home will like it as well. Remember, the book comes out January 21st, but don't wait. You can go online and pre-order The Blaze right now. Oh, people can pre-order it? Wherever fine books are you sold. You should imagine that. Yeah, you can pre-order it. Huh. Then it, when you get it, it comes out the day that it comes out. It'll arrive I at your just, house in the I mail. I don't know why you would have waited this long to mention that. You don't even have to go out and buy it yourself. Just come straight to your doorstep. How about that? We got a new merch alert, Ben. 
Some of y'all asked for it, so last week we added a new co-main event podcast logo t-shirt to the offering over at Cotton Bureau. Uh, it's just in time for the holidays, I might add. So you can go over there now to CottonBureau.com and pick up the brand spanking new CME logo t-shirt. Get yourself a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt or a Dundasso t-shirt. They're always available whenever you want them on demand all the time over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today. And pick up some CME merchandise. We got music again this week from Stockholm-based producer CMEO, a.k.a. Co-Main Event Podcast listener Alfred Larson. Uh, we've said this before, but at this point, the Co-Main Event Podcast, it's like a major signpost in the Stockholm music scene. Yeah. You want to be big in Stockholm? Get your shit on the CME. You're nobody in the Stockholm music scene if you haven't had your shit on the CME. Fact. Nobody at all. Stone cold fact. If you like what you hear... You can go check out uh, SoundCloud.com, I believe, slash CMEO. Maybe that's not right. We'll get that corrected for uh, Alfred Larson. <laughs> Nailed it. To, uh, yeah, no, SoundCloud.com slash CMEO. S-E-E-M-I-O. CMEO. Okay. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Jorge Masvidal took home the BMF title after stopping Nate Diaz on cuts which is frankly how we should have known this thing was going to end all along the moment we decided somebody was going was to declare themselves the baddest motherfucker in the game. And in round number two, Darren Till defeated Kelvin Gastelum in what was honestly kind of a forgettable fight in the UFC 244 co-main event, uh, but that result has to be considered pretty good once you consider that Till said that he was so terrified he didn't even want to go out there. And in round number three, the UFC is off to Russia. With, with what can only be described as a bizarre card, featuring what, a fight that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago and another fight that probably shouldn't be happening at all. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail comes to us from Glenn Jacobs. Kane. That's gotta be Kane. Again, my favorite thing is that when pro wrestlers write into the CME, they don't feel the need to write in under their pro wrestling moniker. For yeah. one, yeah. because they don't want to try to big time other people. They don't want to big time their way onto listener mail. They want to get there by merit. And because they know here in the CME listener mailbag, we're all family, man. You don't got to gimmick this thing up for the CME listening nope. audience. We don't need to hear from Kane. We need to hear from Glenn Jacobs. We want to hear about from the man behind the mask. The mayor of a small town in Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. Is it just me, or is there a lack of respect for your boy Beeson 25-8? The man is on a four-fight win streak, has knockout power when he's not grinding out victories, is only 30 years old, and has beaten some of the top guys at light heavyweight, yet they put him out there to try to give a prospect a victory over an established name, and he said F that noise and stopped a surging Johnny Walker, which by the way, anyone who watched any of the Embedded series, you know the UFC was hoping he was going to win that fight. I think it's time to put overtime, Beast in 25-8, Mr. All Day Every Day, in a title eliminator fight. That division is running short on talent, so it's either him or Reyes, who who should get the next crack at John Jones? So uh, was this yeah. not a title eliminator fight? In a way, I mean, they didn't say that leading up to it. So if right. it turns out but. to be a title eliminator, I mean, I agree with you that in in practice it could and should well be a title eliminator. But nothing is certain about Corey Anderson despite this win over Johnny Walker. And it didn't sound like the UFC was all that hip to what Corey Anderson had going on. This this is fourth win in a row, by the way. Uh, 
had three wins in a row in Dece- in 2018 and then just one win this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all things being equal, you would think if, if you were scraping around for someone for John Jones to fight next, Corey Anderson uh, or Dominic Reyes would have the inside shot there. Okay, let's to back up and deal with this question. Let's examine some of its implied assumptions here. Some of outright stated assumptions. Okay. Do you agree or disagree the UFC doesn't like Corey Anderson, doesn't really want to see Corey Anderson succeed, put him in this fight hoping Johnny Walker would win and we could be in that business instead? I mean, if that's true, it would merely be stylistically, right? Unless there's something behind the scenes with Corey Anderson uh, asked Dana White to hold his coat or something at a UFC party and like Dana White didn't... <laughs> well, he did talk a whole bunch of shit before and after this about how he felt the UFC was... He definitely buys into this narrative that the UFC was setting him up for failure here, that the UFC wanted to see Johnny Walker win, and that they're not interested in being in the Corey Anderson business. Sure, which I think is obvious. Like, if you are the UFC and you got six foot six mohawk having Johnny Walker who comes in on the heels of three consecutive uh, first round KO victories, all of them in under two minutes, was kind of like uh, streaking to a title shot we thought against John Jones. Corey Anderson has been somewhat less dynamic during his time in the UFC. I say this was his fourth win in a row. This one was a first round TKO. The three previous to this were all decisions. Like Corey Anderson has that grinding, grappling based uh, uh, skill set that we know the UFC doesn't necessarily like to highlight, except when it comes from certain individuals. Uh, and and like this was the first time, frankly, we've seen Corey Anderson show a lot of personality in the cage after it was over. And you and I were at Buffalo Wild Wings, couldn't hear it. Nope. The sound was off, so we didn't know what he was saying. But we looked at each other and we were like, oh, finally, uh, Corey Anderson getting on the mic, spitting a little fire, showing yeah. a little personality. You could here. just tell whatever he was saying, he was very emphatic about. Also, how the fuck are you going to watch Jeopardy when the sound's not on the TV? What what good is that? How are you going to know if your answers are right, Chad? The fuck? Anyway. I mean, if you know, you know. Right? If I knew, I wouldn't be watching Jeopardy. Okay? I mean, it says more, I think, about what the UFC thought about Johnny Walker than what the UFC thought about Corey Anderson. But clearly, if you're a fighter, you're going to take some, some umbrage at that. Yeah. Well, and Dana White kept doing this thing before and after this event when asked about Corey Anderson where... He seemed to be, on one hand, trying to downplay the idea that we're setting Corey Anderson up for failure or that we would like to see Corey Anderson lose this fight or anything. Him saying, you know, we don't do that. We don't have that power. Take the fights, and if you win the fights, then you're somebody and you're doing something that matters, and that's all that, that you can do. But then also, on the other hand, he'd turn right around and be like, did you see when they walked out for the weigh-ins? Nobody clapped for Corey Anderson. A bunch of people clapped for Johnny Walker and everybody else. Nobody clapped at all for Corey Anderson. People don't care about this guy. And so it's like you're saying, we wouldn't do this thing based on our feeling that this guy isn't popular and nobody cares. But I do want to remind you that this guy is not popular and nobody cares about him. But now he does. He goes out there. If you told us beforehand this fight was going to end in two minutes of the first round, yeah, we would not have guessed it would be Corey Anderson on the, the winning end of that. No, no, we would not have. But now, Dominic Reyes just had that stoppage victory over Chris Weidman. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. Also a first-round victory. A little more emphatic, but also this one was against an actual light heavyweight. So 
you got to weigh those things appropriately. But doesn't it seem like the UFC, if you need challengers for John Jones, if you're assuming John Jones is going to stay at light heavyweight for the foreseeable future and not move up to heavyweight anytime soon, it doesn't make sense to me to put the two potential contenders you have against one another, thereby eliminating one of them. Because you're probably going to need them both before it's all said. John Jones needs an opponent soon. We don't have time to sit around and wait for these other two guys to fight each other just to determine who should fight John Jones. Just pick one of them. Yeah. And in the UFC classic matchmaking style, probably pick whichever one of them is available on the date you already have circled on the calendar. And then have the other one get next. Doesn't that seem like that's probably what's going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, if we were overflowing with light heavyweight contenders, you might think about having Corey Anderson and, and Dominic Reyes fight each other. But the world is, has not been perfect at 205 pounds for a while now. So I agree with you. One of those two guys should probably fight John Jones. However, if you're John Jones, are you looking around right now starting to feel like maybe you were a little too hasty saying you didn't want to move up to heavyweight? Because, like... I don't know, man. Dominic Reyes, Corey Anderson. You can probably beat those guys. And I say that just because you beat everybody else at light heavyweight yeah. for your entire life. But how many pay-per-views you selling against Corey Anderson? 350? Maybe, if you're lucky. Yeah. Probably the same thing with Dominic Reyes. You go up to heavyweight and you fight either Stipe Miocic or Daniel Cormier for a third time. Come on, son. Yeah, but that's... If you're already thinking about the UFC doing Cormier steep a three, then that's already off in the, the a potential move up to heavyweight is then delayed because they've already got other plans there. So you might as well stay home for at least one more. You'd have one more of these guys. Maybe Dominic Reyes will do a little bit better numbers for you. Also, if you're John Jones, I think the way he's looking at it is I'll just stay here, dominate this division, keep making my guaranteed money when I show up and it's not the worst thing that happens to you. That's true. That's true. Next question this week comes to us from Fritz Walter, deceased German footballer. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Those 10 to 15 seconds when Derek Lewis just stands the fuck up and starts going <laughs> after you are some of the most exhilarating times in MMA. Then he has to regroup and recharge for like three and a half minutes, but I don't care. I'm always on the edge of my seat when he's in there. Where does the big homie go from here? Are we quietly hoping for a Greg Hardy win this weekend so he can get that ass? We had uh, Derek Lewis, Ben, come out and win a split decision over Blegoy Ivanov uh, in the only heavyweight fight on the main card of UFC 244. This wasn't the most exciting Derek Lewis fight that we've ever seen, but he does get the win. He is he was talking about uh, keeping an eye on Greg Hardy. We are we're going to talk about this more in round three, but we do have this weird situation where uh, Greg Hardy appears to be suddenly being tossed in the deep end for the UFC. So it seems like less of a joke today maybe yeah. than it has ever seen in the past that, that Derek Lewis might at some point get his hands on Greg Hardy. First of all, let's talk just about this fight. What did you see out there uh, from the Black Beast Derek Lewis in his fight against uh, Blago Ivanov? Well, Ivanov is the kind of fighter who can make for a little bit of a disappointing night for somebody like Derek Lewis because he's super hard to knock out. Yep, tough as nails, grappling-based style, been stabbed in his chest before. Yeah, which you notice as soon as he takes off his shirt. So it's not they like... They really stabbed him dead center, too. Like, they really got, like, the exact middle of his body with that thing. Yeah, they weren't messing around. No, they were not. Uh, but that's the kind of guy who he he can 
take away a little bit of the fireworks out of a Derek Lewis fight in a couple different ways because he can just no-sell heavy-ass punches and he also can get a takedown every once in a while to which Derek Lewis then, as this question points out, you know, he'll like to lay on his back for 15 to 30 seconds, kind of think about his life. Yep. Think about Collect himself. Take a deep breath and then go, all right, here we go. Let's get up and then get back to work. But obviously, if you tell me you're putting together a Derek Lewis, Greg Hardy fight. I'm interested. I'm interested more than I have been in past Greg Hardy fights. Uh, I'll also wonder if that's the point at which the UFC has really decided to say, fuck it, we've done all we can for Greg Hardy. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to be enamored with the Derek Lewis knockouts, obviously, but I honestly feel like his ability to just stand the fuck up as Fritz Walter mentions, it's like almost the most impressive part of his game because we have sort of yet to see him against a heavyweight where he was not able to do that. Like, Blego Ivanov is a high-level grappler. Like Roy that, Nelson. Did to Roy Nelson, that too. That guy has skills, and still Derek Lewis is just sort of like, okay, I'm going to stand up now. Yeah. And then he does. Yeah, no, I mean, he did it. Uh, remember that one with uh, Shamil Abdurahimov where... He basically is looking like he's on his way to losing a plotting five-round decision. And then late in the fight, is just kind of like, all right, hold on. Let me get my shit together here. Knock this dude out. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Dutch footballer Mike Vanderhorn. Okay. Well, of course. Well, Jorge Masvidal might have walked away Saturday night with the BMF belt. But Stephen Thompson retained his undisputed nicest motherfucker in the UFC title by pounding Vicente Luque's face in for three rounds, only to hug him out, hug it out, and offer encouragement like a proud papa after the decision. Take me off a ledge here. Am I crazy to think a rejuvenated Wonder Man can rattle off a couple more nice wins like this one and fight for another title shot at the end of the year? Is this just wishful thinking from my guy? Discourse. Yeah, I think that the UFC has kind of mentally slotted the Wonder Man into a different role. Yeah. At this point, I don't think they're looking at him being like, hey, maybe one or two more, and you're right back in there in the top spot. Yeah, he is two and three in his last five, uh, 36 years old at this point for the Wonder Man. Hasn't fought, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kamara Usman or Colby Covington. He's got a win over. Jorge Masvidal from 2017. So all things being equal, I don't feel like he's totally out of it. I don't think he's totally out of the the title picture at this point, especially since he's always going to do the Stephen Thompson thing. He's always going to be the Wonder Man. He's always going to be likable, uh, go out there and and have a fun karate fight with people. And, And if he can keep, you know, finishing people or, or look impressive en route to a unanimous decision, uh, like he did this weekend against Vicente Luque. Yeah, you could see him work his way back in. He's tough to fight. He's going to be tough to fight for just about anybody. Yeah. But at the same time, like, uh, it's not number one with a bullet for Stephen Thompson. Well, and when you look at the situation right now at welterweight, because you've got Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, that seems like what we're going to do to finally put that one to bed. And then... Jorge Masvidal is kind of lined up right behind that. I think, especially if Colby Covington wins and comes out of there with the welterweight title. After all the shit that Jorge Masvidal said about how you're making this guy take it to Uber Eats, how you're, <laughs> how you're the type of guy who, when you say some shit, he's going to hold you to that later when yeah. he sees you yeah. and we just wants to talk to him man to man. If Colby Covington ends up with the UFC welterweight title, that's the fight you book just immediately. 
and you'll you'll do good stuff with it, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And so already you've got you're now looking six to nine months into the future. Stephen Thompson's going to have to do some stuff in the meantime. Yeah, the Wonder Man is one of these guys who should probably stay ready and trained up, keep ready the phone to, charged up, ready to make one seventy mm-hmm. at a moment's notice because. Maybe his best shot is somebody else gets injured at the last second and they got to call around looking for a replacement. And the what you like, if you're looking for a last minute welterweight replacement, then Steven Thompson is maybe about as good as you can get because he does have some notoriety. He comes in with a style that I think people are going to want to watch. So maybe he ends up cutting the line at some point. Even then, I don't know if he's the first person on the list to call. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's true. A couple other people, USC going to find out that they have not yet even set up their voicemail box. <laughs> uh, this next one comes from Kevin Schuler, who writes, So this was an awesome card on paper, but I find myself slightly disappointed with a lot of the results. We may have killed off several hot prospects in one night. Luke, Walker, Gillespie, all these guys can come back and still make an impact on their divisions, but I still can't help feeling slightly bummed. This is actually a good point. Yeah. There were a bunch of weird... I don't know if you want to say weird, but a bunch of maybe unexpected outcomes on this UFC 244 card. Uh, Makwan Amirkani lost to Shane Burgos. Johnny Walker, as we said, lost to Corey Anderson. Gregor Gillespie gets his undefeated record smashed by Kevin Lee via first round head kick. Vicente Luque loses to Steven Thompson. So yeah, man, a lot of guys that we thought were maybe creeping on a come up took some, uh, Took some bad ones this past weekend. I wanted to talk specifically about Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie because we haven't talked about that yet. As everyone who has listened to the show knows, when Gregor Gillespie was sitting there at 13-0, and you and I were looking around the lightweight division saying maybe this guy's skill set is uh, one of the weirdest or most difficult matchups for Habib Nurmagomedov. That's a fight we would really like to see. It's still a fight that I feel like we would really like to see. But on the heels of getting turned into a corpse... By Kevin Lee, like looking like you're laid out in your casket yeah. uh, by this head kick, first round head kick from Kevin Lee. Uh, Gregor Gillespie probably saw his path to a 155 pound title shot get even longer. Yeah, that's a tough one. And it was a short enough fight, though, that it's really hard to say exactly what we learned from it. It was basically like two and a half minutes you yeah, get kicked two, upside your head. Two minutes and 47 seconds. Like, I don't think it's one where we can look at it and like, start talking about Gregor Gillespie's game plan. Yeah, or that him being exposed or anything, except in so much as we found out that if you kick him in his head really hard, he will fall down and go to sleep, which is true of most human beings. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, A part of me feels like that could happen to anybody, but also, yeah, if you are already having a tough time building momentum when you were undefeated, and with exactly the kind of skill set that seemed like it could give the champ something to worry about, this does not help you at all. Though for Kevin Lee, because I understand the premise of this question. Like, we had these guys, a bunch of different guys, where it seemed like we were right on the verge of getting excited about them, and then a bunch of them lost yeah. on the same night. Yeah, That's showbiz, baby, I guess. Sometimes it'd be like that in MMA. You put the fighters in the positions, but you don't know how the outcome's going to work out. The flip side of it is, for someone like Kevin Lee, we talked about him before this fight, he was open about this being a bad fight for him to take. Matchup-wise, just... Where he is in his career, he really needed a win that was really going to put him back on the map here. And yet this seemed like one where we did not necessarily expect him to get that win. Yeah. And to not only go out there and get it, but get it in the first round with a head kick KO over a Trump supporter in Gregor Gillespie on a night when Trump himself is in attendance. 
and then to turn right around, post the shit to Instagram with the message in all caps, Bernie Sanders, you bastards. <laughs> I think Kevin Lee got himself some fans there. Yeah, and Kevin Lee had been, uh, he had, at one time, he started off his UFC career with a loss to Ally Quinta back in 2014, but from there went 9-1 and one in his first 10 fights in the UFC, and we were thinking, okay, Kevin Lee's going to be a capital G guy in, in whatever division he ultimately decides to, to fight in. Uh, then he goes 2-3. and three. I guess he was 1-3 and three in his most recent four, then came and beat Gregor Gillespie, but at the same time, I agree with you, it is sort of like a career revitalizing feeling for Kevin Lee on this Monday after seeing that knockout at UFC 244. He just changed camps, went up there to TriStar, uh, which is a camp that obviously has had some success with guys who have a Kevin Lee style skill set. We always say jumping weight classes, changing camps. It's not always a, a cure-all. It's not a, always going to fix all of the negative stuff that a fighter might have uh, swirling around. But to see Kevin Lee kind of do a classic tri-star in uh, the combo with a kick combination and knock out Gregor Gillespie. I don't know, man. Maybe it's a good change for him. Maybe he goes up there, gets revitalized a little bit, and now maybe he's poised to go on a run. Even with Kevin Lee, though, a guy who, by the way, is still only 27, so like has a lot of, of fight left in him uh, in this professional career, Like we need to see three more wins before we start talking about you know Kevin Lee as a, is a uh, first ballot title contender. Is he really only 27? According to his Wikipedia page. God, that's shocking. Just turned 27 in September. That shocks me. I'm shocked by this news. I'll probably be shocked the next time you tell me when he's like 28. That seems right. Uh, let's see here. From Tracy Dickinson. Am I being premature with getting excited about Edmund Shabazian? Nailed it. Shabazian? Shabazian? Shabazian. And his future, his potential future at 185 is only 21. She writes in parentheses, God, I'm old. He's undefeated with 10 wins. They've all been in the first round except for one split decision. I was impressed with his self-control when he had Tavares hurt, but he wasn't gassing himself out to finish him. Fought an intelligent fight and still had an impressive finish. Uh, I'm intrigued with how he seems to have his shit together being such a young fighter. And I'm already looking forward to what he can do after this. Uh, and what he's already accomplished at only 21. Seriously, I'm old. Thoughts on his future and if I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, this was a, a a big win over Brad Tavares uh, for Shabazian, who is now eh, four fights into his UFC career, not counting a TKO on the Contender Series back in 2018, and you know fighting in middleweight. So we've seen a lot of guys start to make some noise at that weight class recently, and and... You know, this was not a bad exclamation point on his current run. Is this the guy uh, managed by Ronda Rousey? I believe it is. Yeah, Nominally. He's a, uh, a, a, a fights under the Red King. And then Targaryens? And then Targaryens, yeah. Okay, that's my one area of concern so far for him. Yeah, he, came, he did look super good in this, but then when you tell me that he's an Edmund Targaryens guy and Ronda Rousey's his manager, I'm going, all right, how, have we begun the countdown to when this implodes? Well, here are the wins, UFC wins so far. Uh, Darren Stewart, Charles Bird, Jack Marshman, Brad Tavares. So Tavares, obviously the most, the best known guy on that list. I don't want to say you are getting too far in your head of yourself because, you know, it's good to have guys. It's good to have uh, people that you're looking forward to on the come up here, but going to have to see him fight some, some elite competition before we can 
we can crown him the Red Prince. Well, I mean, 11-0 with four straight wins and all but one of them finished in the UFC at the age of 21. Which, this, this motherfucker Chad was born in 1997. Stop it. That's the year after I graduated from high school. That's, that's dismaying news that there are people that young doing things in the world. Yeah. Walking agree. around being adults. Agree. Some dismayed. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, I'm going to go ahead and kickstart our round one discussion about the UFC 244 main event where Jorge Masvidal emerged victorious over Nate Diaz via doctor stoppage TKO at the end of the third round by just reading this listener mail question that we got from Mr. JM, longtime listener to the show. He writes, run it back? Question mark. No, I agree with you. I don't think you run it back, at least not right now. I mean, especially because... This was for a made-up title. Yeah. It's kind of just for some fun shit to do. I feel like, promotionally speaking, we squeezed just about everything that we could out of this matchup prior to Saturday night. And, like, you know, Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz are both well-liked veteran guys who, if we have to watch them fight again, nobody is going to complain. However... Felt like we were almost running on fumes a little bit yeah. by the time we got to Saturday night. If we had to do this shit over again, and I'm not even going to bring up whether or not that will be a defense of the BMF title, uh, we would be fully running on empty. Yeah. We, we just wrung out the damn washcloth on this thing after you realized that the UFC was immediately selling BMF title replica belts on the pay-per-view. I was like, we did everything we could here. We did all the business yeah. we could. We made the wing sauce. We did everything. Time to move on. The This was one of those fun promotional things that looks pretty good when you're viewing it from across the street. The last thing you want is to give us an opportunity or to give us no other choice than to examine it really close up. Yeah. Because at that point, we're going to realize that there are some cracks in the facade there and it's not going to be as fun. Plus... I know people don't want to see any fight stopped on cuts, but especially not the BMF title fight. Yeah. It just feels wrong. It feels like we should have had a rule in place where it was like a no count out, no disqualification, no stopped on cuts yeah. kind of situation for a title fight like this. If it was pro wrestling, that's definitely what we would have done. And yet, A, I will make the argument those cuts were pretty bad. The cuts on his face, those were not insignificant cuts. They didn't get there being licked on by cats either. Jorge Masvidal put those cuts in Nate Diaz's face 
while he was busy putting an ass whipping on. Yeah. It wasn't like this one was still up for grabs and we'll never know how it would have ended. It's like, remember that Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone fight where Cerrone blew his nose between rounds, his eye puffs up, they stop it on that. And then afterwards people are going, Oh, but uh, maybe no, no, we saw where that one was going. Especially, I mean, I love Nate Diaz. I love everything about it. The whole way he carries himself, the fighting style. It's all a lot of fun. Yeah. But he's not the guy who comes back in round four or five of, of a fight where he lost every single one of the rounds before. He, Masvidal won every round on every judge's scorecard and had like a 10-8 there yeah. in round two and was really kind of putting it on Nate Diaz. So I didn't feel like we're necessarily robbed of anything right. by having that fight stopped. When it I was. agree with you. Anytime you get a, a fight stopped by the doctor, it's always going to be a disappointment, especially when it's a main event fight, especially when it's a fight that is built up as much as this fight was built up and you got two guys out there, Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, putting on a good show, even if it wasn't particularly all that competitive. Uh, and I agree with you. Like In terms of where the cut was, it didn't seem like it was necessarily the kind of cut that was going to obscure Nate Diaz's vision, but it was wide and it was deep and it was nasty. Yeah, it and also like, it wasn't going to get closed up really well between rounds either. Yeah, it was pretty much the exact same cut he had in the Anthony Pettis fight, just much worse. And I feel like, you know, though we don't always think about him as a tremendous truth teller one of the reasons that you can know that this was a bad cut was that dana white after the fight was over was like yeah at first i was like that's bullshit i was feeling mad about it but then i went in the locker room and i saw nate's cut and i was like okay like that actually is kind of a bad cut now it could be he's just trying to you know not take anything away from jorge masvidal's win because now you have a fairly important promotional chip in the welterweight division in jorge masvidal but that was a bad cut. And you're right. It didn't seem like Nate Diaz was about to flip the script and suddenly win this thing. Now, Nate Diaz has come from behind before. He has terrific submission ability. Uh, but it didn't seem like he was about to win this fight. Even though you gotta love it. He got on the mic after it was over. And in classic Diaz fashion was like, I was about to get started. Yeah. Game plan the whole time. Fourth and fifth rounds were going to be mine. Well, and there are some people he can do that to where the DS style to just keep coming and not really care too much about the physical abuse you're taking and wear the other guy down. That gets to people sometimes. I didn't see any sign that it was on the verge of getting to Jorge Masvidal. He didn't look to me like he was slowing down or fading, really, in this fight. It was goddamn incredible Nate Diaz was still there. Yeah. He got essentially soccer kicked in his face in the first round of this thing, which, you know, uh, Masvidal, I think it was like, I would have to rewatch it to know for sure, but I I think Masvidal went knee, punch, 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 kick, in your face combo and like yeah. landed all of them. Yeah. And at that point was when I was like, uh oh. Well, he got him with an elbow in yeah, close, like elbow. in the That's clinch to really start it off. It kind of sent Nate backwards and was then coming after him and landing punches and then caught him with that kick. And that finishes, that sequence right there finishes a whole lot of other people. It's just not going to finish Nate Diaz. But yeah, I think you come away with this one. And you you step back and you go, all right, we had some fun. Yep. We had some fun with the BMF thing. And we emerged with a genuinely ascendant Jorge Masvidal. If you look at where he, what the last year or so has brought for Jorge Masvidal. Because 
Even if you didn't like the way this one ended, he did look good in that fight all the way up until it ended. And that's in addition to the flying knee knockout of Ben Askren, the knockout of Darren Till, plus a little extracurricular three-piece in a soda uh, in backstage area. So, like, there's a guy who's had himself one hell of a 2019. Yeah. And is poised really well to be the next challenger at welterweight whenever we get that title situation sorted out, especially against a former teammate who might very well come out with that title in the end. So if you're Jorge Masvidal, if you're the UFC looking for somebody to promote out of that, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, you damn sure could. We talked about on Friday we at, during the Power Hour, we took a, a an appreciative look, I think, at the career arcs of both Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. We mentioned it at the time, but especially after these three straight KO wins in 2019, it is amazing, amazing that at 34 years old and, uh, you know, damn near 50 fights into his professional MMA career, we have all, the world has come around to Jorge Masvidal. Like we have uh, come around on him much the same way we did against Nate or about Nate Diaz, frankly, uh, about him being a needle mover and him being like kind of an awesome, likable dude with an exciting fighting style that uh, that is easy to root for, frankly, most of the time. Uh, did it seem to you after this fight that we started to see some signs that Nate Diaz is working a gimmick? That like Nate Diaz. Maybe more, well, certainly more than Nick, but that Nate Diaz is like, okay, I have seen how a Diaz brother acts. I have seen that everybody likes it. And like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be the Diaz brother that everybody wants to see. I'm thinking specifically like when he's talking about how The Rock can get it. Did you watch this quote yes, where he's yeah. talking about how yeah. The Rock chose sides and he chose poorly. And now, all you know, The Rock is cool. I like ballers, as Nate Diaz says, but now The Rock can get it. And he's like... He's laughing the whole time that he's saying this. He basically joking. Well, he stops himself at one point and he's like, I'm really talking shit on The Rock here? Really? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, but I was watching that and I was like, okay, Nate Diaz knows what's up. I, I mean, instead of working a gimmick, I would say Nate Diaz is living a gimmick. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's his, his natural personality turned up to 11. But that's, somebody asked me this today in the MMA mailbag on The Athletic about what does this mean for Nate? Because it's a loss, but a lot of people are not going to really look at it as a loss because of the cut stoppage and they're mad about that. But also, where does he go from here? And the one thing I feel pretty sure of is that he has shown a really impressive ability to make everyone else dance to his tune. Yes. The one thing he's not going to do is go back to just being a rando UFC fight night guy. Yeah. To just fight whoever you got on some event in Pittsburgh, uh, Aaron on ESPN Plus. He's not doing that. Yeah. I think like He'll the, sit out for years if he yes, has to. I We've think the seen biggest that. thing that we can say almost to the credit of the Diaz brothers is their complete refusal to be those guys. Yeah. Like Nate is one and, th- one and two now in his last three, uh, but he is one of these guys in this group where you could toss him out there with any number of opponents of the Donald Cerrone uh, you know, uh, uh, Justin Gaethje, uh, Mike Perry, like anybody who's going to go out there and put a scrap on, you can say they're going to fight Nate Diaz. And regardless of records, we're going to be like, okay, yeah, I will definitely watch that. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to think he got paid off of this one 
pretty good. Yeah, even, he, even, even if he came away on the losing end of it. He was saying coming in that like this could be it for him. I mean, again, you talk about the Diaz brothers, that's always sort of their uh their default setting is like maybe this is it for me, but at the, if this was it for Nate Diaz, I don't think I would be all that surprised. No. Go off somewhere and sell smoothies and CBD oil. And be happy. Good work if you can get it. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, I'm going to do my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Because it's Jorge Masvidal related. Okay. People asking him about Conor McGregor at the post-fight press conference. A lot of people focusing on the second half of the Jorge Masvidal on Conor McGregor quote, where he's like, you guys are mean. Why do you keep asking me about this dude? I'll fuck that little dude up. I'll he's fuck a midget. That, fuck that midget up. Understandable why people would focus on that. It stands out. But to me, the best part of the Jorge Masvidal quote is the beginning. When someone asks him, he's sitting there eating okay. his pizza. He's eating pizza. He's eating his pizza, and he's drinking, uh, he brought a bottle of liquor with him. He's drinking from his celebration cup. And uh, somebody asked him, Conor McGregor is going to come back. And Jorge Masvidal like, takes a bite of his pizza. And he's like, come back to what? <laughs> yes. No, and then the, guy from the, the, the reporter is like, come back to the UFC. And Masvidal says, you mean like fighting in the cage? <laughs> I don't know, man. That guy's been saying some wild stuff for a minute, I think is what he said. And I yeah. was like, brilliant. His feigned confusion at yes. what we're even talking about. So are you fucking kidding me? Shout out to the comedic timing. Of Jorge Masvidal. Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me. Uh, my are you fucking kidding me, Chad? We watched this fight. This is the first fight we watched when we got to Buffalo Wild Wings after we convinced them to change the channel from Jeopardy. Again, it was Saturday. I don't know how they're even finding Jeopardy episodes to show at Buffalo Wild Wings. It seems Netflix. like they just... That's my theory. They just do it all day long, which watching old Jeopardy episodes seems... That's like a, a psychopath thing to do. Anyway, the first one we see... Heavyweight fight on the prelims. Jazir Rosenstruck nailed it. Uh, knocks out Andre Arlovsky really easily in the first 30 seconds. Just, this is a short shot. Sends Andre Arlovsky plummeting face down the floor. And did you see the look on Dan Mirigliata's face when he moved in immediately to wave it off? Yeah. It was like he was disappointed in all of us. It was like the look on his face said... When you guys made this fight, I told you it was a bad idea. Yeah. And no one listened to me. And now look. Now look at what you went and did to Andre. And he's just over him, waving his hand in the air, shaking his head as if to say, I, I tried to warn you guys. And now I'm, I'm very disappointed in all of you. Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Almost like the uh, Artem Lobov face when he saw Conor McGregor throw that yeah. truck <laughs> yeah. through the window of the bus where he was already like, it's getting wild. <laughs> this is out of control, you guys. And then the hand truck goes through the window of the bus and he's like, I knew we shouldn't have done this. See, so rarely do you see a ref manage to just, just in his facial expression, really capture the essence of the fight. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Darren Till went out there and got a much-needed win yeah. over Kelvin Gastelum at UFC 244. The fight itself, not exactly going on anybody's highlight reels, I think, for the end-of-the-year best of the UFC. 
this is kind of what Darren Till often does, at least when he's more successful. This is the kind of fighting style he adopts. It's what came after, where Darren Till, in a moment of, I would say, rare honesty from a professional fighter, just admits that all the stuff hanging over him going into this fight really made him want to get out of it and just want to find a way to not have to do this. And they had to kind of gut his way through that in order to just get in there, much less get a win. It made me think afterwards, do we take for granted at times, just because the entire MMA world is filled with a certain level of BMFitude, yeah. that we forget how difficult it is, especially at this level with this much riding on every single fight, to just show up. Yeah, I think absolutely we do. And it's an easy thing to take for granted because clearly everybody that we see does show up. And, you know, when you get to the UFC level or the Bellator level or the, you know, Ryzen or 1FC level, you are already dealing with the cream of the crop in many situations. Like clearly the UFC has greatly expanded its roster over the last decade or so. And so it's less of a of an elite situation than you had before. But at the same time, if you get, when you get to the Kelvin Gastelum, Darren Till level, every person that we see go out and fight in that cage is like one of the elite athletes in this sport. They represent the, uh, the very, very tip of the spear in terms of MMA fighters. If you go all the way down to, you know, a couple of overweight heavyweights fighting at a, an armory in Salem, Oregon or something over the weekend. Uh, and so, yeah, we take a lot of stuff for granted. We take for granted how good they are at it. We take for granted how tough they are. But the the one of the telling things is when you talk to fighters, they almost always talk about that aspect of it when you talk about the psychology of the fight game. Like every single one of them talks about how hard it is to even go out there. And in many ways, I think that's why, you know, you hear lots of fighters who just like have a blanket policy of respect for each other and the thing that they will oftentimes say, and it sounds flip and it sounds, you know, like a cliche, they say everybody who goes out there is super tough. But like, it's that's actually fundamentally literally true. Like everybody who walks to the cage 20 times in their life has already crossed a bridge that 99.5% of the population would never do. Well, yeah, and it's not just the physical stuff that... You know, you might go out there and get beat up or you might get embarrassed on live TV, that kind of stuff. Especially, I think, for Darren Till. He did a good job. Here's the quote here. Uh, also, the quote sounds better if you can imagine him, his Liverpool accent yeah. uh, doing it, where it sounds like one of the goddamn Beatles. And just talking about how all the things that have come before and all the things people know about you and the things about where you are in your life and your career all come together to form like this cloud that hangs over you and follows you everywhere. And then what happens in this next fight will determine how people take all that. And that happens for every fighter, but especially it's happening for him at this moment. He says before the Tyron Woodley fight, the title fight that he lost, there was no guy that could beat me. And then two losses like that. It just took a lot away from me inside me. I didn't say it, but I fought some hard demons. And then obviously stuff like getting arrested and you lose sponsors. It's like a fucking whirlwind and it's good and it's bad. I tell you, I was trying to fake an injury before walking out. I was thinking of an injury to fake because I just simply did not want to get in there. And this is probably things fighters don't talk about. But you know me, I'm honest and that's just where I was at. Now I'm here, confidence is back, like fuck all these middleweights, I'm coming for everyone, it's back. 
there's a lot in there that really kind of captures the, some of the parts that we don't always think about, about what it's like not just to be a fighter, but to have this be your job and identity yeah. and to have so much wrapped up in it. Yeah, especially for a guy who previous to uh, September of last year had never lost. He was 17-0-1 in his professional MMA career. Uh, and then he has back-to-back fights where he gets choked out by Tyron Woodley at UFC 228. And he gets knocked out by Jorge Masvidal uh, in March of this year at, the, at that fight night event. So, like... You know, just encountering that obstacle, that adversity for the first time in his professional career is automatically going to like put him in a different headspace. It's going to undermine a lot of the confidence that he had built up. Like every single one of these fighters has to find a thing in their brain that forces them to go out there and, and do this, like find the ability to to go out to the cage and fight other people. And we've talked about the various ways that manifests itself in individuals, you know, some people get super religious to just be like, I don't know, to sort of explain why they keep having success when other people don't. Some people have this kind of like me against the world mentality, like Corey Anderson, frankly, from earlier in the show, talking about how everyone's against him, how the UFC is against him. That's a very popular take. Yeah. So everybody has to find whatever the the functionality in their brain is to make them be able to go out there and fight people. And a lot of that has to do with confidence. And you can understand how after those two losses in a row and he like he can't even really make the weight anymore to fight in the division where he fought, stole the damn taxi. Uh, So like, yeah, man, you can look at this thing and in retrospect, see how difficult a psychological trick that must this must have been for Darren Till uh, to go out and even fight, let alone get a split decision win over a guy as like Kelvin Gastelum. And like now that he has done it, as he says, he thinks he's he's back. He thinks he's good to go. Uh, and this is like, you know, you said at the beginning of the round, it's not the most exciting fight in the world. It's not one we're going to be talking about at the end of the year uh, or next year at this time. But it's very damn impressive for Darren Till to come in make weight after the visa stuff and beat a guy as highly regarded as Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. And honestly, we were wondering what middleweight Darren Till would look like, right? Because especially at welterweight, he'd relied, it seemed a lot on the size. It goes out there against Kelvin Gastelum and you still got a lot of the size. Kelvin himself seems like he's kind of in the same boat with you where he still, when he's falling asleep at night, dreams of welterweight just really thinks, hey, maybe someday, maybe someday I can go back. Yeah. And so it's not like he's one of the bigger guys you're going to face in that division, but he's able to do his Darren Till stuff pretty well to Kelvin Gastelum here. Like using the his size and his reach to kind of maintain the distance and work as a counter striker doesn't make for always the most exciting kind of fights. But as we've seen before, when he does get into more exciting fights, those are the ones where he's kind of likely to get knocked out in. Yeah. Also making uh, faces like he's that internet meme of that woman. Remember that there's that video of the woman who's making all those faces. The uh, first she seems she's not sure, but then she's into it. And then, oh, she's not into it. So the faces Kelvin Gaslam was making while they were announcing the split decision in this. Did you watch him? He's just like, oh, I don't know. Oh, it's going to be okay. No, I lost. What? He's making meme faces out there. I think that the future of this show, the way we're going to take it to the next level, is having you describe audio memes. descriptions of memes. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not even sure that I do. You do, though. You do know. I mean, maybe if I saw it, I would know, but I don't. I don't know. I need. You more. would know it if you saw it. 
I wish you could see it. Huh? Back-to-back losses now, Ben, for Kelvin Gastelum. However, over, uh, you know, against Israel Adesanya and Darren Till. And this one by split decision, uh, clearly in a fight where nobody really had their way and nobody really got out outdistanced or embarrassed or anything like that. Still two two super young guys in this fight, by the way. Still just 28 for Kelvin Gastelum. Very much in the mix, I would think, still at in this division, despite yeah, this loss. That's about as good a two-fight losing streak as you're going to see anybody go on in the UFC. Because he looked good in moments in that Israel Adesanya fight, and then Israel Adesanya turns around and, and puts Bobby Knuckles' lights right out, so that doesn't seem so bad to lose a decision of that guy anymore. And then to go in a split decision with Darren Till, where maybe it could have gone your way. I don't know if alarm bells need to be going off in the Kelvin Gastelum camp. This one. You've seen this one. Okay, yeah. She's trying kombucha for the first time, is what it is. Oh, I had no idea that that was a source material. Neither did I, but she goes on to make a bunch of faces. I'm glad we got that sorted out on air. This definitely could not have waited. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Everyone so just in the blonde there. lady. The blonde lady is making the face. I'm not going to get out here describing people's bodies on the internet. Who do you think I am? Blonde. Ben's That's what I said. I said blonde lady. Anyway... That is going to do it for Describe round your number two. In the air. Oh, wait a second. Did you see Darren Till talking about uh, uh, Yoel Romero? Yes. <laughs> Speaking of being very honest, basically just arrives at this weight class, gets a win, and is like, yeah, I don't want any part of Yoel Romero. Thank no. you very much. Again, though, I mean, imagine you're Yoel Romero. You're like 40, what is he, 41, 42 at this point? Plus, he's, he's Cuban, probably one of those like Little League uh, World Series birth certificates. Yoro Romero's 55, and he's wow. a day. Wow. He's 55 years old, Chad. First, we're talking about blonde people, ladies. People don't now, know that. Now we're... You're, imagine you're Yoel Romero. You're, in, you're a, an older gentleman. For the MMA, for professional athletes, professional fighters, you're a damn near a senior citizen. <laughs> These 28-year-old guys coming up in here, winning fights on pay-per-views... At the mention of your name, they're like, nope, I don't want that. I don't want any part of that trouble. It's got to feel a little good. It's got to feel like, okay, these people people recognize what I'm doing out here, even at my advanced age. Yeah, well, that age ain't nothing but a number, first of all, for Yoel <laughs> Romero. He's about to turn 43 at the end of April. But yeah, man, he probably is going to go cut a, a promo in a parking lot about it. Do you think Yoel Romero every day still gets excited going out to the mailbox to see if that check from the lawsuit settlement has, has come in yet? I, Yoel Romero is all, already thinking about all the clothes he's going to buy when that, when that check comes just in. Just be rolling in linen. Just, just have a linen factory in the back where he can just tell him what he wants to wear today and they'll custom make it right there. Maybe the best dressed fighter in the UFC. There, I said it. Wow. People, you don't think anyone wants to tangle with Yoel Romero in the cage. Nobody wants to do a fashion show against this man either. No, that's, that's true. Now we're done with round number two. Now we will be back in mere moments with round number two. Ben, just a coincidence, I'm sure, that the President of the United States met personally with Dana White a couple of times in the last week, right before the UFC's about to take this trip to Moscow. They're going to be that? over there in Russia. 
putting on UFC on ESPN Plus 21. Headlined by Zabit Magomed Shiripov against Calvin Cater. Co-main Alexander Volkov versus Greg Hardy. That's a couple of weird fights. Yep. Not the least of which because uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov and Calvin Cater were supposed to fight on UFC on ESPN. Reyes, Reyes versus Weidman, so which, in Boston, which was in Calvin Cater's hometown yeah. of Boston. Now we are going to do it several weeks later in the home country of Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Calvin Cater, uh, not too into that, not too pleased about it. That's a thing that makes you go, hmm. Yeah. I'd say that. Yeah, what happened there was a... Uh, yeah, what had happened, I think, is what, what you were trying to say. What had happened was, I believe, didn't Magomed Sharapov have an injury of some sort? Mm-hmm. Got sorted out pretty quickly, though, Wait didn't it? Are you calling false? You're going to call false on that? No, it's, it's too bad. He had an injury that had to push the fight only really like a matter of weeks and to a more favorable location for him. Probably sprained, it's a shame. An, sprained an ankle. It's a damn shame how that happened. Maybe he pulled a... Ended up in the main event. Trapezius. His whole country. Pulled his trapezius. How unfortunate for him. Hope he's okay. Glad he made such a speedy recovery. Chad. Wow. Jingoistic. Almost. From Ben Folks over here. Come on. We all know what's going on here. Well, Magomed Shiripov comes into this thing uh, 17-1. and So he's probably going to be the favorite no matter where you have it. Calvin Cater. uh, 20-3. and Two fights... In a row with wins after his loss to Hoinato Mokano back in April of 2018. That's uh, it's still something of a low-profile main event, even if you are doing it in Russia, even if it is just for ESPN+. And then, of course, you had the last-minute edition Alexander Volkov versus Greg Hardy that was supposed to be uh, Junior Dos Santos. Was that going to be the main event of this thing before they... Uh, yeah, I think that was. They moved it down to the co-main slot after Junior Dos Santos pulled out with a bacterial infection in his leg. So now you have Greg Hardy, who, of course, jumps in on the heels of his uh, no contest against Ben Sassoli. That was actually at UFC on ESPN, Reyes versus Weidman. And we talked about it a little bit in the uh, power rankings, I believe, when this fight was first announced. But kind of a weird and yet somehow classically UFC feeling move with Greg Hardy. Where it feels as though they spent a lot of time trying to build this guy up. A lot of time putting him on national television. Essentially implying that Greg Hardy is a guy we should all care about. And then at the last minute, you throw him into this matchup against a guy who is far far more experienced than he is, on paper at least, should be at a different level in his career in almost all ways than Greg Hardy. Not only do you put him in like a short notice bout, you put him on what is going to be like probably a fairly lightly viewed UFC on ESPN Plus card. What on earth, what on earth, Ben, are we doing with Greg Hardy at this point? I think it's tempting to view this as some kind of master plan. Like the UFC saying, you know what? Fuck it. We tried. We tried. People weren't into it. And now we are going to throw Greg Hardy to the wolves and see if we can get at least a little bit of a pop by people gathering to watch him be torn limb from limb. But my experience following the UFC all these years tells me the simplest explanation and probably the correct one 
is just that this is the the UFC formula of oh shit we're in trouble. We have a hole to fill in an upcoming event. We can't start moving too many pieces around because we have so many shows and the roster is already so thin, especially somewhere like heavyweight. If we pull a piece from this place, another Jenga tower is going to come tumbling down. So we just need to get somebody who will fill in. And if Greg Hardy says he'll do it, then you go, well, all right, fine. Even if we were doing this thing where we were hiring people specifically to get beat by Greg Hardy, now he says he'll do a thing that we need somebody to do. Fine. Good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, victims of circumstance. More often than not. They're a circumstance of their own making, I guess we yeah. should say. It just seems like of all the heavyweights that you could get, it seems like a very strange move to take this guy who uh, who it, they seem so committed to, above and beyond all reason, above and beyond any actual showing from that we had seen from the guy in the cage, uh to then just being kind of like, yeah, you know what, fuck it. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe they're thinking, you go out there and you fight Alexander Volkov. There's an established guy, good fighter. Everybody knows that he's a legit dude. If he beats you, then fine. He beats you, and we're able to turn around and say, "Look, listen to all these media assholes trying to claim that we're protecting Greg Hardy. If we were doing that, would we have put him in there with Alexander Volkov? You wanted to see him fight a real guy. Now he's going to fight a real guy. At least you give yourself the opportunity to do that, to fight back against this narrative. What's the uh, inhaler situation, though, in, uh, in Moscow? Do we know? You'd have to probably contact Vladimir Putin himself. Yeah. Maybe have a closed-door meeting I at, feel the, like uh, at the headquarters over there. If you're fighting a Russian guy, it's probably a no. You're probably right about that. If you're a Russian guy fighting an American dude, maybe the inhaler's okay. Just a thought. Just a thought. All right. You got anything else you want to say about UFC Russia? Going down next weekend at the CSKA Arena in Moscow. What time of day are we doing this? No are we idea. doing the weird thing? I have no idea. You're gonna you're gonna want to find out, aren't you? Because it might interfere with your ability to watch your beloved Montana Grizzlies play football. Well, nothing interferes with that. So just because you simply will not allow it, we're to good. Him? We're good there. I'm trying to see here if we have a. I'm, I'm pulling it up here. Oh yeah, main card starts at 2 p.m. Eastern. So, so we're noon. looking at a morning and early afternoon fight card. You know I like those on a Saturday. Yeah, not too shabby. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Chad, it's time again for everybody's favorite game. Oh, no. I'm just saying, can Chad Dundas spot the fake prelim fight? Now, we're headed over there to Russia. I hate this. I always get these wrong. We're headed over there to Russia. Mm-hmm. So we got some Russians. On the fight card. Okay. However, one of these matchups that I'm about to tell you... God damn it. ...is not real. You have to spot the fake. Are you ready? So two real ones and one fake one. Two real ones, one fake one. Okay, lay them on me. Dmitry Kovalev v. Mark Herman. Roman Koilov v. Carl Roberson. Gregory Popoff v. Davy Grant. Gregory Popoff? I said what I said. Wait, one, what, two, or three. What was the first one? Dmitry Kovalev v. Mark Herman. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon from Summer School? 90s comedy? Who is... Oh, you mean the... 
That's not he the guy who he played football at USC, right? And then he became an actor. Yeah, that sounds right. Is that Mark Harmon? No, that's not. It's something else. We're gonna look that one up. All right. I'm tempted to say number three, but I am not going to because I fully believe there probably is actually a fighter named Gregory Popov on this card. So I'm going to go with uh, number one. Number one is the fake one. Dmitry Kovalev versus Mark Harmon? Yes. Correct. (laughs) You are correct. Yes. So broken clock is right twice a day. Gregory Popov is an actual guy. Name sounds like a damn vodka. Yeah, he's but, an actual guy. Yeah, that's what I figured. It's almost too uh, too cartoonish for you to make up. Mark Harmon is the name of the guy. Freddie Shoop, Mister Shoop, from uh, Summer School. Yeah, see, I told you. I watched Summer School when I was a kid. Was found to be, or was named uh, one of TV's hunkiest actors. Played college football. Interesting. Yeah. So you never know what you're going to learn when you tune in to you listen really to the Co-Main Event Podcast. You really absolutely 100% do not. This week I'm just saying it's time for John Jones to go to heavyweight. Talked about it earlier in the show. Wow. I'm doubling down. Why would you stick around? Don't stick around. Do it. We all know you're going to do it eventually. It's time. Go up and fight the winner of Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic. Let's get it on. Give it to me. It's mine. I'm just saying. What do you think about that? That's just, this feels impatient on your part. And you know it's not going to happen. You think he's going to stick around and pick off the easy uh, easy pickings? Guys coming up? Yes. Low profile? Yep. That's exactly what he's going to do. Time to go to the heavyweight, John Jones. Just saying. Just saying. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week. Talk about all the stuff that happens at this uh, fight night card in Russia. Then look ahead to... Whatever is next after that, something else will be happening, I'm sure. Don't forget, Wednesday we'll have the Patreon Patreon live chat, 11.30 a.m. in the One True Time Zone. Then we will have the uh, Movie Club episode about Children of Men. Then we'll be back here on Friday for the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Is there any chance that you've already watched Children of Men? No. I mean, not since I saw it originally. Just don't wait till like Wednesday morning. Yeah, probably tomorrow. We're going to find out what time tomorrow. I mean, all the other days we're recording damn podcasts. That's true. That's true. Going to Buffalo Wild Wings, making ourselves sick. I can't do it tonight, you know why? Hockey game. Hockey game. We're back. Winter season is back, baby. The guy is the guy we went over to his house to watch his favorite view, a hockey friend of yours? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know this guy. He must be a hockey friend. You know uh, who we 